Hello everybody, welcome to the Grund, Kirk and Anthony are here. Hey guys, we're here to do that thing that we always do, which is just talk about movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's that time of year. There's a lot of movies, Anthony. True. What do you, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, let's talk about some other stuff that we've been watching or getting into recently. Sure. How about that? Why not? Yeah, let's do that. So, uh, this past week, I've been watching a little cartoon show from, from the 90s. You may have uh, heard of it. You may have not. I don't know. Uh, Kirk, have you ever watched X-Men, the animated series? I was hoping you were going to bring this up. Yes. In fact, I have watched <laughs> X-Men, the animated series. In fact, that shows probably the reason that you're listening to me today. So, True. Yeah, that's, that's actually in, pretty in true. In a roundabout sort of way, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I don't really know why. Uh, Ray and I just just started, you know, watching through uh, the show. That's 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 pretty much it. Is we started to watch it on Disney Plus. It's available there, and the first few seasons have a really short episode count. It's like mm. thirteen episodes each, and you know, uh, I'm an X Men fan. I've seen the first season before. Um, I haven't actually watched past that. I've seen bits and pieces, and I've seen episodes, but I've never actually like sat down and watched the full show before. And uh, my girlfriend Ray is familiar with the X Men world through the movies and through the Wolverine comics she's read because she's a big fan of Laura Kinney and and Logan, so she's read Wolverine specific comic books. But in terms of the X Men, that's a whole universe, you know, like. There's a whole slew of wacky, crazy uh, characters. So it's like, okay, well, let's watch this cartoon because it's the equivalent of Justice League or Batman the Animated Series or whatever, where this is how you learn about all these wacky concepts and all these other extra bits. And especially at the time, the height of X-Men popularity, where I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you saw, there's one of those guys, one of those guys on Twitter... That's like, what do you do? And it's like, they're a reporter, maybe? We we, we talked about this in private. Yeah, we did, yeah. It's like the people that, like, you check their Twitter, and their accomplishment is that they were at the Inhumans, or in Eternals, I got Inhumans on the mind, Eternals <laughs> premiere, and they interviewed somebody. Um, and it's like, that's, that's their gimmick. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. But there was a tweet out mm-hmm. recently that was like, I can't wait for the rest of the world to, like... X-Men and some other characters too. I can't Fantastic Four maybe. Um mm. as much as they love the Avengers. And I wanted to be like, yeah, it was called the 90s. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like obviously the MCU has made characters like Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, those people unanimous uh synonymous rather. Synonymous. With the Marvel brand and the Avengers are a big big deal now. You know, they're part of pop culture the same way you can just say superman and batman and not have to know their stories you just know the character names so i'm not denying that however it is funny seeing younger people sort of exposed to the current pop culture landscape and not realize that at one point the x-men and spider-man and the hulk were marvel like that was yeah. the marvel brand not the avengers so to say like oh i can't wait until the x-men are as loved as the avengers like yeah they were 20 years ago <laughs> almost yeah, 30 years ago at this point it, it's also a funny thing to say about a, a marvel property that's had multiple big budget money-making movies 
Mm-hmm. It's one thing for them to be the like you know obviously they saved Marvel from going bankrupt at one stage X Men in the comics and uh, you know number X Men number one uh, was I don't know if it still is I I, I don't know but it, at one stage was the highest selling comic book of all time yeah you know so it's like obviously the X Men are popular so that's a weird thing to say anyway. Ugh. <laughs> Long story short, yes. the X-Men cartoon is a great way to introduce somebody who's not familiar with X-Men into a whole bunch of cool X-Men stuff. Yes. Um, and so watching this cartoon, I was amazed at, well, uh, it, it sort of holds up. Um, I mean, it holds up in certain ways. Like, there's a there's a, there's a a two-part series on YouTube that I'd highly recommend. If you just look up previously on X-Men, part one <laughs> and part two... You'll see some amazing out of context X Men clips. Like, yes, it is. It is. It's, it is great. When those parts happened in the show, I was so ecstatic because they're weird. <laughs> like, there's just yeah. so many things of like because of the limitations of the budget or whatever. Just like it being a cartoon where something exciting is happening and maybe a character will then say something and then everyone goes like quiet and then they'll like walk out of frame weird. Like it's it's. I, it's hard to explain. You kind of just have to experience it. How silly some certain things are. Uh, that being said, there is so much good in the show in terms of it still being relevant to this day. Like, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've sarcastically said while watching the show, but keep politics out of my comic books. <laughs> because yes. that's all this show is. Like, yeah. it is amazing just how often they are in your face with the idea of... The X-Men are hated. The X-Men are, you know, these people that, like, people, other people want to eradicate. They want to get rid of. Like, there's a point in season one, uh, Senator Kelly is on TV yelling about mutants, and he straight up says internment camps. And it's like, that's a very real-world relatable term that you can apply. So there's no, like, mistaking what he means by that, which is crazy. I feel like if that was said in a comic book today, people would be complaining of like, oh, I can't believe that they're being this on the nose about <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, they've always been doing that with the X-Men especially. It's kind of their gimmick. There's an episode we just watched recently in season three, one of your personal favorites, where, uh, spoiler alert, it's after the Phoenix Saga, uh, mm. Jean Grey is presumed dead. And Scott decides to uh, quit the team, basically, because he doesn't want to care anymore. His emotions yep. have gotten him this, so he's like, I'm done caring, <laughs> which yep. is an amazing thing. Um, but he's on the bus, and, like, a kid comes up, and he's like, die, mutant, die. And he's, like, shooting him with, like, a toy gun. And the mom's yep. like, oh, stop bothering that man. And he's like, what? I'm just playing good guys and mutants. <laughs> I'm sure that nice, nice young man would not appreciate being called a mutant. Yeah, yeah. And Scott's line. just like, oh my life. Like, yeah, he's just he's having a horrible time grieving over his not technically wife. They were they were married, but then it turns out that it wasn't official because uh, it was officiated by Morph, who they thought was dead. It's a long story. Yeah, just just uh, very quickly on that note, it's it's funny how <laughs> cartoons and and movies and things like that. The priest wasn't really a priest, so therefore it's it's not legal. It's like, well, I mean, you got to sign like marriage certificates and things like this. I just <laughs> just go do fun. it again. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're not married, and they they don't have a wedding again until much, much, much later in the show. It's like, just 
get married tomorrow. Who gives a shit? Like, you had the yeah. ceremony. It's fine. <laughs> no one else needs to know that the priest wasn't really the priest. Yeah, it was evil morph being controlled yeah. by Mr. Sinister. That's not a detail you have to tell people. No. Uh, but you're right. That is very cartoony. And the, and the show is, is full of that, you know, where you're sure, just like, yeah. why is a character doing this? But it gives you everything you need to know. And it's so much fun to watch. Uh, I can't imagine what it was like to, one, be a kid like you, who this is like their introduction to this world. Mm. But also on the flip side of it, be aware of the stuff that they're referencing. Like, yeah. And that's that's something to keep in mind, is that if you go back and you watch the show, it's like, this is almost the first of its kind. Like, there was the weird uh, sort of motion comic-y cartoons of the 60s and, and whatnot, and then there was the sort of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and that had other characters in it, like Doctor Strange and Captain America, and there's the crossover with the X-Men. But, like, this is a time where it's still fresh to, like, reference things. So when they're going through Gambit's memories and you see Ghost, <laughs> Ghost Rider, Rider. Yeah. and it it's like, what? Like, it, it's like a, an amazing confirmation that Ghost Rider exists in this universe. And there's tons of that throughout the show. You know, and I i mean, this could be a, a problem, but they have a lot of ground to cover. But just the fact that, that, like, everything happens and you're like, oh, my God, does that mean this? And this means this and this. Like, oh, man, it's great. Like, it's funny to look at the movies and see how slow they kind of took it and where they decided to take it versus the cartoon where it's like, you know, like the, the first time they go to Genosha. And there's all the the mutants that are being kept there with the inhibitor collars, and it's just mm-hmm. like a like oh there's so and so and there's so and so there's North Star there's Mystique randomly <laughs> it's the yeah. Blob, um, and then those characters are just characters in the show after that, like it's I I can only imagine what it was like watching this at the time because like I said it must have been just a pure joy because it's it's jam packed every episode with soap opera-y goodness, you know, like, oh, yeah. this character's related to this character, and this character knows this character, and blah, 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 like, oh, so much, so much of that. Something that, because I've gone back and watched a, a few episodes, when, like, you'll message me about something uh, in the show, it's like, oh, I haven't watched that episode in a while. I mean, I haven't watched the show in full for ten years now. I watched, uh, from start to finish, I watched it when it was on Netflix, when I was living in the States, and there was Netflix. Um, and it, so that was like the uh 20 year anniversary of it so uh i watched it from start to finish and i was surprised when episodes were out of order which is how they still are on disney plus i don't know why they haven't fixed that they own it but anyway um every time i watch an episode like i have a different memory from when i watched it as a kid like you just mentioned (laughs) the ghost rider thing i remember being in a comic book store and seeing a ghost rider comic and turning to my mum and saying he was in Gambit's mind. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> little things like that, um, that, you know, I... Yeah, I mean, I have so many memories of very specific moments in the show. Um, uh, you had messaged me when the show tells you, it teases that the Dark Phoenix... or oh, sorry, just the Phoenix Saga um, is coming. <laughs> and they do this by having really dramatic music and the in theory the camera pans up into space and uh suddenly just live action flames appear and text (laughs) you know appears coming soon the phoenix saga and i remember as a kid being like whoa and like without knowing what that meant because this was my introduction to x-men thinking like wow that's that's so cool i wonder what that means 
And uh, yeah, whereas like if you were to do that now, I guess it would be a little on the nose. But at the time, like you said, if you were an X-Men fan before the show, uh, it would have been like, oh, wow, they're doing that next. Like, it, So the show is a great introduction to the world of the X-Men. I mean, it does all the hallmark X-Men stories that people know. Um, like, even if you have a vague knowledge of X-Men, like, people know the Phoenix and the Dark Phoenix saga. Actually, they probably mm. only know the, the Dark Phoenix saga because both of the movies have only adapted <laughs> the Dark Phoenix side of it. But um, No, the Phoenix saga is so weird by comparison. Yes. You know, yeah. it is a very, very odd... Like, because I know people always talk about, it's like, why don't the X-Men go to space in the movies? And what they're thinking of is the Phoenix Saga. Like, yeah. that's where that is. Like, there's other space stuff, too. Like, they go to space in the Whedon run as well. Yeah. But, like, I can tell when people say that, they mean the Shi'ar Empire and the... The, the Emkron Crystal. The Mcron Crystal. The Ken. Sonic the Hedgehog movie. You know, like, they want yes. all that stuff. They want Gladiator. They want the Star Jammers. Like, yeah. that's what they want. Um, I loved... What was that guy's name? He, he's like he had like a Shi'ar name, and he's like on this planet I go by Eric the Red. Yes, <laughs> like, I'm glad you changed your name to Eric, sir. Like that's that's much better. <laughs> yeah, Eric the Red. Like when I started reading comics after the fact, and I'm reading comics, and suddenly Cyclops is Eric the Red. It's like what the fuck? I probably didn't say that, but <laughs> I knew uh, Eric the Red from the show, and then you get to a later point where Eric the Red shows up, and Cyclops is like, but I'm Eric the Red. That's that's comic book convolution for you. So this is, this is a good thing about the animated series, is that you get a crash course on the world of the X-Men, while also getting really good in-depth storytelling. Um, like some of the people complain about the continuity of the movies. I mean, the continuity of the comics is way worse because it's been around for so much longer. But, yeah, yeah. And you know, different writers and so forth. But with the animated series, I mean, it's four or five seasons. I think it's five, but the last season is that extra season with the weird new with studio the doing the animation. animation. Yeah, yeah, it's very creepy looking, but yeah. it is it is it is something where cause obviously watching the Phoenix saga, I explained to uh, Ray that like in the comics, the way they explained Jean Grey being alive was uh, remember they found her cocoon at the bottom of the the ocean, mm-hmm. and like that was the reveal of like oh the Phoenix was just doing Phoenixy things. The real Jean Grey has been in a cocoon this whole time. Yeah. She's right here. And it's like, that's weird, you know? Yeah. But that was the comics thing of like, well, we killed Jean Grey. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> we did that character back. And we've already done a thing where we thought it was the reincarnation of her. Uh, yes. That's actually secretly a clone. Uh, we, we, we've, we've done everything. Uh, she yeah. was in a cocoon. <laughs> yeah. I remember in X-Men 3 when Xavier says... She wrapped herself in a cocoon of telekinetic energy. I remember thinking, oh, they, they kind of did that. That's funny. Um, like, what a weird thing to reference. I mean, they don't reference it in a, you know, in, in a really over-the-top way, but it's it's like they, that's that's what they chose to adapt from the Phoenix Saga. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, I'm glad you're watching it and enjoying it, because I, one of the things that really does hold up about it is the dialogue um 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of one-liners in it, like Wolverine and Rogue and Gambit are just like one-liner, one-liner, one-liner. But um, <laughs> it still feels like, uh, yes, it's for kids, but there's a reason adults are still really attached to this show. Because the dialogue and the storytelling, is it has a maturity to it, even though it's a, a kid's cartoon. Yeah. Um, that I just don't see from the Marvel cartoons of today. And it's a very cliche thing to say, like, it was better when I was a kid because it was made for me. So I was the target audience. So, of course, I'm going to prefer that. Um, But, like, looking at the Guardians of the Galaxy show today and things like that, obviously they're not dealing with what the X-Men deal with. But there's just a very clear difference in... I mean, to me, I think there's a clear difference between the 90s Spider-Man cartoon and the 90s X-Men cartoon in terms of... Uh, serious storytelling, but that's just <laughs> yeah. X Men does kind of feel like it's trying to tell you something, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the the fact that the very first episode is this girl's foster parents, like specifically her dad, basically reporting her to the government and yeah. being like, "Hey, my daughter's one of the mutants," and then like coming and basically like taking her away and forcing the situation onto her, you know, her being Jubilee. Like, it's it's a very serious thing that people can sort of relate to. Um, something that we um, mentioned before that I don't really hear anyone talking about, and I'm sure people do, is the clear attempt to make uh, Storm have a previous lesbian relationship in Africa. Yes. Uh, sh- she goes back to, uh, I guess, Cairo. Is that where she went? Um, she she went back to, uh, to Africa with, with Rogue because uh, stuff was going on. And, uh... With Mijnari. It's this this reveal of, like, oh, my son. And it's, like, your son. And then it's, it's like, oh, well, it's technically another woman's son, but we raised him together, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm as much of a mother as his biological mother. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, I I can see what you're trying to do here, but it's the early 90s and you're not going to. Um, Yeah. That episode is also very wacky because it, it features the Shadow King, yes. who is this like man that was stuck in the the astral plane by Charles Xavier, and now Storm and Rogue have to deal with it. And I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know anything about Rogue, but her first instinct on everything is to punch it. Yes, and you can't punch the Shadow King. <laughs> no, I love when the Shadow King goes into a mountain, which is like just sort of like the doorway to the astral plane. So Rogue starts punching the mountain as if she's going to break through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we we could probably talk a lot more about yeah, X-Men, so but I, I just wanted to establish to <laughs> <laughs> that I am watching it, I am loving it, and when that new X-Men cartoon comes out, we will probably be talking about it. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite, least favorite mutant is Bishop. Oh, poor Bishop. I'll end it on that. Uh, Bishop is an idiot. Um, Don't you love when Bishop shows up and, and there's like a harmonica in the soundtrack? Yeah, I he's, he's, he's like is. a cowboy. Yeah, he's, he's got westerny music. It's pretty he interesting. Does, yeah. But that's not the only thing that I've gotten into recently. Um, so a, a book series that was really popular with me as a kid was the Percy Jackson and the Olympians oh, book series. No. Okay. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Just FYI, everyone, uh, before we started recording, Anthony told me that he had watched a Logan Lerman movie, and it, <laughs> you don't need context as to why that came up, but uh, uh, I was thinking, what could it possibly be? And I did not think of 
Percy Jackson. Yes. So uh, re- the reason this came up recently was the the writer. Uh, there, there was some casting made for the new Disney Plus show. They're doing a Disney Plus show adaptation of the book series. Um, and it's, brand it's new the, reboot cast. The kid that's been cast was the young uh, Ryan Reynolds in that Adam Project movie, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I really didn't like him in that, but he was he was playing a young Ryan Reynolds, so I can't really fault him there. Well, yeah, that's he was doing his job. Yes. He's being annoying. <laughs> so they they announced the other cast members for basically your your Ron and her Hermione. Uh, you've got uh, Grover and you've got Annabeth. Now in the comics, Annabeth, who is the daughter of Athena, is uh, white and blonde, and an actress they cast is a young uh, black girl, African American, I guess. And, um, obviously there is going to be, no matter who you are, there's going to be some outcry if you don't cast correctly. And so recently the, the writer, Rick Riordan, Rick Riordan, he's got a very interesting last name. Uh, he came out with a statement and unlike JK Rowling, who remember when they did the cursed child and they, they cast a, a black actress for like the musical, I guess it's just a play. It's not a musical. It's just a play. Um, and then her response is like, I never said she wasn't black. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you did. You said it when we cast uh, Emma Watson back in the early 2000s. Like, just say that it's okay. And this is, so this is what happened with the new one. It was basically, there was some hate going online. And he had said of like, listen, for what we're doing right now, the character is what's important. You know, like years ago, I wrote this character with this in mind. But the actress we chose embodies the character so well, like, this is what we're going with. So he didn't backtrack and be like, well, she was supposed to be, but I didn't. Like, he didn't say anything like that. He just said that this actress fits the character, and if you like the character, you're going to like her because she's perfect for the character. And basically saying, like, everyone out there that's, like, hating on this, like, you go against everything that the book stands for and basically shut up. (laughs) And so... That got some uh, pretty positive response, you know, for the creator of this thing to actually respond to all this vitriol, you know, uh, which is something people complain about online is that often people will say evil, mean things, racist things in some cases, and it's just quiet. And here, the creator decided to actually come out and respond and disown these people from, I guess, the Percy Jackson fandom or whatever. So this news recently, it got me thinking of like, wow, you know, I read, I read those books like back in the day, you know, when I was around maybe 10 years old or so, I want to say, um, it was mainly cause actually he came to my school. Uh, he's from oh, San Antonio originally right. and, uh, he like came to the school basically to like get kids excited about the book and all that, uh, which was really neat. He, it, it is a, and this is where I'm going to talk about some more, uh, this series is definitely like a kids fantasy adventure series like not like babies first but it's 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 an, an easier reading level than say harry potter okay. like if you were to I open see. up the book the the text is slightly bigger it's spaced out more it is not at the same like length or like i said reading level as say harry potter and so I often hear a lot of people my age, slightly younger, 
uh, but still around my age that are so hyped for Percy Jackson stuff. And it's like, yeah, I like Percy Jackson, but like that was a franchise that I was into as a as a kid, you know? It's like it'd be like getting excited and I'm not saying these are exactly the same, but getting excited about something like I don't know, Danny Phantom. It's like, yeah, Danny <laughs> Phantom was like a cartoon from when I was a, a kid <laughs> or like Ben 10. It's sure. like yeah, Ben 10, I loved Ben 10 back in the day. But I wouldn't be losing my mind if they announced a Ben 10 movie, you know? It, and you know like that's going like, to come at some point as well. I mean, <laughs> it surprisingly that's, haven't, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. Obviously, they made those, like, for TV movies when the show was on. But, yeah, there, there's yeah. going to be a big budget uh, uh, Ben 10, at, at, you know, within this decade for sure. I'm, I'm super surprised that they haven't made a theatrical Ben 10 yet. Um, but, it's yeah, it's a very similar thing to where I would I'd look forward to it but I wouldn't be following Ben 10 news to catch up on all. And I'm not throwing shade at people that do. I'm not throwing shade at Percy Jackson fans. I just found it interesting that like this seemed a bit more kid oriented than say some other stuff that people are into, you know, like it's just one series as opposed to say like Batman where it's like, Oh, I love Batman. It's like, well, what do you mean? You know, there's the, (laughs) the movies, the video games, the comic books, the cartoons, like, you can assume a lot about that versus, oh, I'm a fan of Percy Jackson. It's like, well, you mean the one book series, right? That's aged, like, for 10 to 16-year-olds? Like, mm-hmm. that book series? You know? Like I said, I'm not saying you should like this stuff if you're too old. It's just the excitement level. So I decided to actually go back and listen to the audiobooks because uh, Ray had never read those books, and I haven't read them in over a decade so I was like, you know what? I want to see if these books still hold up. And uh, we listened to the first one, and we just finished the second one today. And, like, they're pretty solid for what they are. Like, they're they're fun sort of uh, adventure books. They are clearly, you know, uh, very similar to the Harry Potter franchise. You know, young boy finds out that he's connected to this mystical world. He goes off to a special place to hone his skills and then goes on an epic quest to, you know, uh, stop an evil that's been lurking uh, in the in this mystical world. The difference being that the Percy Jackson series really likes to sit in the modern world versus Harry yes. Potter, where it's like, you go to Hogwarts and like Hogwarts is anywhere. It's Yeah, it's it doesn't have to be set in, it's technically set in the 90s, I guess, Harry Potter, but it's yeah. it's not... Uh, specific to that time period. I mean, obviously, it doesn't work as much if you have today's technology, but yeah, you just kind of know it's, it doesn't matter because Hogwarts is separate to our world. Hogwarts is a completely magical thing versus something like Percy Jackson, where the whole gimmick is the idea of what if we had these myths today? You know, where would these locations be? What would these characters be like? You know, like, would they still dress in this ornate greek sort of armor and clothing it's like no they would they would dress like they dress because that's how they dressed back then you'd probably update it a little bit so you had these sort of updated takes on all these different types of characters and archetypes and whatnot and like that's the charm of it and so after listening to the first book and being like you know what that was like a pretty pretty solid young adult uh sort of uh closer to children's uh, fantasy adventure series uh, let's watch the movie <laughs> because the movie came out in like 2010 and that was Isn't like my first, uh, there's two of them. 
Um, just, I only watched the first one okay. so far. <laughs> I've actually never seen the second one. I've not um, seen the second one either. So <laughs> I saw the first one, and the first one was like my first experience of like actually feeling that disappointment in an adaptation. Ah, uh, right. You know, because like Harry Potter, I've been reading since I was like so young that I don't remember it. Like Harry Potter's almost always existed in my life because I was reading those books in like first grade technically Mm -hmm. Um, I used to be really smart I don't know what happened and so you met me (laughs) I don't know and we're doing this but you know it's a possibility Um, so (laughs) Percy Jackson I guess was my first sort of crack at watching something be adapted what I consider to be wrong you know like I read the book I fell in love with the characters and all the different things that happened, and then I saw the movie, and it wasn't what the book was. Like, there was just straight-up alterations, there was things that were just completely, like, wrong, and it was it was very upsetting for me as, uh, I guess I would have been 15 years old, you know? So... That was, that was rough. And I'd heard, you know, I kind of, I guess, built up this mindset of, like, well, if you didn't know the books, it's probably, like, a decently fine movie. It's pretty simple. Mm. Uh, but watching it today, I think that's wrong. Um, yeah. This movie is two hours long, which is 30 minutes uh, less than Sorcerer's Stone. And really, okay. it sh- that should not be the case because there is so much in here, especially after just listening to the book. There's so much that's just, like, sped up or forgotten about or whatever. Like, it is ridiculous. Like... And I can see now why I was so upset at the time because, like, there's entire plots and, like, character-specific details that are just absent from the film that completely change how the characters work, how the motives work, like, everything. Like, almost everything has changed where it, especially considering this is supposed to be a series, it technically got another film, so you knew that they wanted to do more. But there's entire things that are, like, built up and then paid off later and, like, all of that is completely out the window like from the very beginning it's completely different um which was strange you know i guess i it's like i reversed it i hated it and then i assumed that it wasn't the movie's fault it was my fault for being a fan of the source material and now i'm back to being like well no that wasn't even close to what the source material was um a major thing is they aged up all the characters like percy jackson is supposed to be like 12 years old logan (laughs) lerman is I don't know how old he is. I assume he's playing 16, but he looks 20. I was like, going to say, he's I, definitely 20, surely. Like, it's... So, yeah, you got that whole movie effect on top of the fact that the character itself is just way too old. Um, yeah, it's very, very strange. So, it was, it was... I guess it was kind of a good thing to feel this justification of, like, you know what? I was right. This movie does suck. And I never saw the sequel. I know it has Nathan Fillion in it as Hermes. That's interesting um but i never saw it and i guess i'll watch it now now that i've listened to the second book so i can do all the comparisons again (laughs) but it was it was very strange and i guess i don't really i'm not exactly i didn't listen to these books so that i could check out the disney plus series like i'm not exactly excited for it i'm just sort of going down a nostalgia trip but i guess i'll check it out when it happens but don't expect to hear from me about it i'm not like like counting down the days to the new Percy Jackson adaptation. That's that's not my plan with this. 
I have no attachment to the books. I didn't even realize uh, when the first film came out that... I mean, I think in the trailer it says, like, based on the book series, because that's what all of those uh, sorts of films have. But, um, like, I didn't know what it was. Like, the first teaser trailer is him going up the elevator. Do you remember that? Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I think I got that before... I actually I have no memory of what I got it before it was 2010. Um but I remember thinking like what the what is this and when it came up it was like Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief which I think is just what it was called out here. Um mm. I remember thinking oh that's a little it's a little Harry Pottery and you know that series is about to end and <laughs> then you see a you see the film and it's like oh it's a schoolboy and his two friends on a magical journey it's like okay Directed like a... by Christopher Columbus. Exactly. That's the other thing. So it, it does feel like America's answer to Harry Potter. At least it did to me because I didn't read the books. Um, yeah. I I saw the film, not in cinemas, I watched it, I guess, around the time it had come out. But uh, uh, I really don't have a lot of memories of it. I remember being surprised that Uma Thurman was in it. And she plays, like, Poison Ivy, almost like... Basically. It's, like, exactly the same, this sort of overly sexual, like... (laughs) It was very hard to not just quote Poison Ivy while watching that scene the other day. It's very silly. And I I do remember thinking, like, oh, you're better than this, aren't you? Like, you... What's going on? And uh, I also remember that uh, the scene where Percy Jackson starts to discover stuff or or whatever and and, uh, wheelchair-bound Pierce Brosnan... (laughs) <laughs> and Brandon T. Jackson are like suddenly talking about they found him we don't know what to do we gotta take here's a pen and it's like it was the most uncinematic like way to do it I just remember thinking oh yeah. this is just like three people standing in an empty room um it, it doesn't feel like that special and yeah so um I don't I won't be checking out any Percy Jackson TV show I'm sorry it's I didn't grow up with it so I don't need to uh read or listen to books that are made for teenagers now i'm good no no don't don't do that don't put yourself through that <laughs> and, and and if you grew up loving percy jackson i mean and you're excited for the show more power to you it, you know this is the age of something that you grew up on is gonna get a movie or a show or, or everything that you grew up with you know because that's what sells so oh yeah it, it's all gonna get shows and movies now yeah that's the new gimmick um is is taking those things and if you remember them boy howdy are you in for a treat which i guess uh kind of leads into i guess the the main event of of today's uh episode here the the newest hit film that's sweeping the nation people love it people hate it what is the film what are we talking about i don't, I don't remember it's called The Northman. We both saw The Northman. <laughs> the Northman is one of the best movies I saw this year. It is so, so good. I mean, boy howdy. It's in, a, it's in one of the t- trailers, so it's not a spoiler. But there's a fight that Revenge of the Sith wishes it could have. Good <laughs> lord. It is gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, love this film. Fantastic yeah. film. Before we Before we get deep into the northman i do just want to say one thing because you brought it up um since obi-wan is about to happen there's been a lot of talk of the prequels again and i had oh, to no. fucking s- i didn't have to but i, I sat there and watched <laughs> ewan mcgregor uh talk about how like you know they, we made these films for kids and now we're hearing you know from these kids because they're adults about how much they loved it 
love those films after they, you know, they got a bit of a bashing by the critics. And I was like, this is not a way to sell the prequels. And is this like the final? Are we actually acknowledging that Star Wars is for kids so all these stupid adults can shut up now? And uh, at one point, Hayden Christensen spoke up and is like, the third film is like a brilliant movie. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I, I don't need this in my life. Please. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Wow. Uh, the Northman is great. I like uh, Robert Eggers' first film, The Witch. Never seen it. I didn't love The Lighthouse the, uh, the way everyone Never else seen it. loved it. Um, yeah, it, 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 I appreciate a lot about it. Like it's it's so wacky and out there, and the performances are great, but it just wasn't my cup of tea personally. I can appreciate what it was going for, and I understand why everyone loves it <laughs> the way they do. Uh, whereas this this was like his most commercial kind of general audience style movie um it's funny when i've seen a lot yeah. of reviews saying it's weird and i was like i mean i guess it? it's not weird in the sense that uh <laughs> um the lighthouse is weird and i think people are gonna expect that when you know people are putting that in their reviews and then i've also seen reviews where people were expecting it to be like that and it wasn't so then they were disappointed because they found it to be a really standard well, revenge story We'll, we'll get the next movie we talk about. We'll talk about how people don't know what movies are anymore and how sure. you can just sort of slap a label on it and claim that it is that. But yeah, if people are saying this is weird, I mean, yeah, there's weird stuff in it. I, I won't lie. I, cause I, as I just said, I've never seen either of his films. I'm familiar with The Vavitch and I know of The Lighthouse as well. And I know you don't care for it, and my dad doesn't like the lighthouse, and that's all I know about the movie. Um, <laughs> well, so uh, there's there's that. So earlier in, in this film, mm-hmm. there's a scene in which characters are like burping and farting. Yes, and I was like, okay, I'm not against this yet, but I need to prepare myself if this is the movie that I'm going to watch. Yes, like I I needed to sort of adjust myself because I didn't know. Like I I saw. A trailer for this film, and that was it. That's all I really knew about it. I didn't even know that the story was the sort of story that Hamlet was based on. I didn't know that information. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like, so when this was happening, I was like, okay, like I'm not, I'm not going to shun this movie just yet. I just, I just need to prepare myself if this is the, and then it's not for the rest of the film. <laughs> it really isn't that. Um. There's like some gore and some nudity that it doesn't hold back on. But it, I wouldn't call this movie like gory or overly violent. Like, no, I mean that you there are more see violent violence. Films. There are more. Like, this isn't gory in the sense that, like, um, you know, in a horror movie, you might see someone stabbed in the face and then they'll like run around with a knife in their face or whatever. Like, it's not like that. But there is there's some graphic violence in this. I mean, it doesn't shy away. If it wants no. to show you, it will show you, but it does not go out of its way to be like, yeah, look at the blood. You know, it doesn't really do that. Sure. You mentioned the, the burping and farting early. Cause I, I had the same reaction of like, Oh God. Cause th- there's a lot of that in, um, the lighthouse that people just find hilarious that will yeah. just farts throughout the movie. And I was like, Oh no, I, I hope it's not going to be weird like that. And then it, it's not like it, it is really only that scene. And Willem Dafoe was in that scene as well, which I thought was funny. Um, he makes him fart. He's he the one that, that makes him that, that happen. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just thought it was a super well-made film. It's really well acted. I mean, it's got a, an amazing cast, obviously, but it's just a really captivating movie. 
it is a revenge story. The the story is simple when you break it down, uh, but it's just so captivating. It's like it, you know this guy's getting revenge, and he's essentially undercover, you know, in this really old <laughs> uh, Viking setting. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's one of those things. It's like when it finished, I was like, oh man, I just saw a movie. <laughs> I, I, you know, I I see a lot of stuff, and I'm not going to talk much about this, but I saw the the Nick Cage movie, the uh, unbearable weight of massive talent. I was going to say the loud and incredibly close. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> that's what it's called. Uh, he falls off the twin towers in it. Um, it's <laughs> I didn't like that movie, and I understand why people like the movie, but that was like a really. I was hoping it wasn't going to be reference the movie of like Nick Cage's career, and it's it's only half that, but it's referencing the most commercial, like the the meany mm-hmm. parts of his career. Um, like I did get a chuckle of you know the the pillow that was like a thing online of like when you um, when you rub it one way it it shows one pattern, then you rub it the other way and it reveals like Nicolas Cage's face. Yeah, I think my cousin has one of those, and she's right. like. 12 or 13 or something so one of those is in the movie and like when it was just like in the background i went that's funny they're like i know what that is and then like they draw attention to it i was like okay that's (sighs) i hate references like that where it's like it's funny if it's in the background and you notice it um you almost do like the you know the the rick dalton meme point like when you see it but then the movie draws attention to it and it's like okay it's not that clever anymore because now it's drawing attention to it um, but yeah, it, it references a lot of like Face Off and uh, Con Air and films like that, and like there's like a lot of like if you love the video of uh, Nicolas Cage freaking out, that really old video on YouTube, um, mm. it's like it almost feels like that's what they think Nicolas Cage is, and I think if Nicolas Cage wasn't playing Nicolas Cage, maybe I'd be more okay with it. If it was more like a Birdman situation, where it's like if Michael Keaton was playing Michael Keaton in that movie, it would not be anywhere near as good. Um, and you know, referencing not playing Batman for a third time because he's not, you know, it's very clearly he's the inspiration for this, and Birdman and you know, Batman and so on and so forth. I think if this movie was that, and Nicolas Cage was just playing <clears throat> an actor who's kind of like Nicolas Cage then mm-hmm. I think I'd be more okay with it. But they're referencing how he hasn't made a good movie in years. And I was thinking, well, I just saw Pig last year. <laughs> and I started thinking, okay, well, maybe this is set before he made Pig. I have to think of it like that. And then they like they show off the chainsaw from Mandy. And I was like, oh, well, people liked that movie. You know, I know that it was like not a big commercial success, but it just didn't... Uh, it, it, I don't know. There was, it didn't quite line up to me what they were going for and uh, and what was the final result because they also throw in a bunch of very meta Hollywood commentary, but that, that comes and goes throughout the movie. Um, there's some like abstract weirdness, like he has an imaginary friend that's Nick Cage, and he pops up a few times and one at one point just makes out with Nick Cage, and and then he's like gone again and say, like, okay, are we meant to think that he's crazy or? Like, you know, they don't do enough with that stuff. It's just here and mm-hmm. there sprinkled throughout. So, um, and then it becomes like a cartel, like escape movie at the end. It's, I don't know. It wasn't for me. 
Um, so I, I saw that, and then the next day I saw The Northman, and it was just, it was just like, oh my god, this is more <laughs> what I would like to see um, from a movie. So I like The Northman. Check it out if you haven't. It's about to be on video on demand, I guess. Yeah, we now live in an age where you can go see a movie in the theater and then look at your phone and realize you could have just watched it from home. Yes. <laughs> That's where we're at right now. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing the kind of the different levels of quality that we've been experiencing because everything everywhere came out relatively recent. Um, yeah, so obviously then, I course, talked about that the last uh, episode, but you have now seen it since. So Yeah, it's fantastic. This is yeah. a fantastic film one of my favorites of the year for sure um but yeah it's funny watching something like that and then watching like the moon knight series on disney plus and you know maybe if i wasn't watching amazing things in in cinemas i wouldn't have such a a negative reaction to something like moon knight maybe i would have more of a lukewarm reaction but i almost got like angry at it for being so whatever um and uninteresting because i was seeing other interesting things and you know that's just kind of the gimmick now uh i don't i mean i'm not like angry at it you know i'm not going to go on a, a a diatribe about how marvel is killing cinema or whatever and it's this big cancer on the <laughs> the creative strain or something like, i don't I'm not going to get into that because i don't care that much we are officially in the take it or leave it world of the marvel cinematic universe and i think that is really proven with uh their latest film like that is very much the if you like it you like it if you don't you don't it doesn't matter because in a couple of months there's going to be another one so (laughs) yes deal with that well let's talk about wong in the multiverse of madness wong in the multiverse of madness Um, wong's not in much of the movie which is no he's not um, I will say, okay, let's just say, we'll, we'll, let's, let's say our quick opinions on it and then we'll get into the spoilers because that's what people come here for. Um, I liked it. I liked this movie. It was a fun time. Uh, I also liked it. I haven't, se- it's, it's funny to say, I haven't seen it a second time. Like, I haven't seen any movie <laughs> I've seen this year a second time besides Batman, but, um, yeah, yeah. but you know, I often is the case where it's a big movie like this. I have groups of people that I'll see it with at different times because it's a big movie, big audience. Um, but I haven't watched this a second time yet, so I, you know, my opinions are kind of subject to change, I guess, because I saw it and my immediate reaction was that I really liked that. And then, like, you go online and you start seeing, like, ah, oh, people aren't really liking this. And then you see the other <laughs> end where it's like, it's the greatest thing ever. And then you see, you know, the other end, even further the other end, which is like, this is utter trash fuck marvel it's like so yeah i mean we live in the age where everyone puts their opinions online so think how you think it doesn't matter but true um when you see like the general consensus is the average consensus is that good but and it's like okay that's that's kind of how i feel because um i think it's a very well made film i think it's visually really really interesting and that comes from sam raimi uh you know like you could have another director make this and make the same script and it's probably not going to be as interesting as this film was and you know who knows how many choices were made on things like 
not to this isn't a spoiler but you know for those who have seen it you know that there's the musical note fight like was that something that was in the script from the earlier stages or is that something that they came up with later because they just need Cumberbatch for that actor wise and say the rest of it is done in a computer um but it's it's one of the moments of the film where it's like oh I wish there's more like this in the first Doctor Strange film I was really forgiving of them not doing so much of the weird magic stuff because it was an introductory film and we get that one sequence where he's introduced to the mystic world and Mm -hmm. you know it's so psychedelic and interesting and you know it, it just looks so great and it's weird and the music is weird and I like that sequence a lot, and I was forgiving of them not doing so much of that, just because it's like, there's a promise of more of that in the future. He's learning in this film. It's okay. As a standalone Doctor Strange film, I think it's a very good adaptation of Doctor Strange. And then with this film, The Multiverse of Madness, I think it lives up to the madness part of the name, because there's a lot of madness in it. Um, But there's not (laughs) a lot of multiversal weirdness, which is kind of disappointing. Like, they go to... Mm -hmm. There's the one sequence you see in the trailer where his face is like breaking apart, and you know, he, then he turns into paint. He goes into a cartoon world, um, and it, it looks like he goes into like you could say it's like oh, it looks like a, a Blade Runner world, but it's it's probably like the 2099 world. And then it looks like he goes through a silent movie, and it's like oh, that's probably Marvel noir. So you know, he goes to the Savage Land. You know, he goes to this. He does go to the Savage Land. I picked that. Um, so that's good. Um, but. Uh, yes, I, I kind of would like more of that. I'm fine with that being like a, a 10 second sequence, but it would have been nice if we got some more weirdness like that because they kind of just go yeah. to one other reality and spend a big chunk of the film there and then he goes to one other reality and then it's back to our world, basically. Um, yeah, so, and, and yeah. I think there's different ways to sort of take this because there is a downright to like a, a specific concept is very similar to everything everywhere. This yes. sort of jumping into alternate universe bodies thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess you can take that in two ways. You could either completely dismiss this movie because another movie did a fantastic story um, about this this sort of woman trying to keep her life together and wonder yeah. what if, ironically. Um, <laughs> or you can say, well, that movie did a really interesting, like, unique thing. I'm going to watch this for the schlock that it is. And I think that's what I sort of ended up doing with it Mm -hmm. is accepting that it's like, well, this is like a fun Marvel flick. Uh, A part of it that like, I don't blame movie people for not really enjoying, but as a comic book guy, I did like that. This felt like I just picked up the five issue Dr. Strange story event called multiverse of madness. And sometimes when you read comic books, there's a whole lot of history before and there's going to be a whole lot of history afterwards, and you either know it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got that vibe from this, is that, like, this is weird just in the Marvel Universe now. There's no, like, hand-holdy stuff. Yeah. This, I, I mean, honestly, I'm sure people can make some arguments here or there. You need to watch WandaVision for this movie to have more of an impact on you character-wise, because you're not going to really grasp what Wanda is doing. Like you understand she it's not like it's crazy, you know, but sure to understand what she was doing to get here, why she's in a costume all of a sudden, where she got this evil book. Well, all that stuff yes. is is in the show. Um just just quickly that's really on it. that note. Yeah, because I I think the idea of like wanting to be with your 
children, if you want to, like, put Wanda's uh, arc in the film down to that simplicity. Like, that, everyone can understand that without having to see anything before it. But um, if the last time you saw Wanda was Avengers Endgame, you will be confused about why she is the way she is in this. And the film doesn't do, I don't think, a good enough job at explaining how we got from WandaVision to this. Because, like, there's that after credit scene in WandaVision where she's, you know, reading that evil book. Um, And, you know, she's... Uh, in the uh, she's in her astral form and she's also awake and the reveal in WandaVision is kind of like oh people can only be in their astral form when they're asleep or knocked out like they're unconscious Uh, so she can be conscious and do this that's interesting and the film doesn't really do anything with that but um, yeah I don't know like there's uh, we go from to use a an old school term we get a heel turn without ever seeing how she turned heel. Like she's <laughs> well, the evil book did it. Yeah, and that, I guess that's the thing. It's we blame that's it on a... the evil book, and it's kind of like ah, yeah. okay. And again, it like, made her dip her fingers in black goo, and yes. it made her evil. Yeah, again, like if if you pay like close attention to WandaVision, you know that Agatha had the black fingers. So you see her with the black fingers in this, and you go, oh, she's a witch, witch. Um, <laughs> I used to work there. I was gonna say, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I because I guess when they did it, I was like, okay, we're just doing this. It, she was a villain in the comics. I'm used to this, whatever. And then I just kind of sat back and enjoyed it. Um, yeah. But it, when I really spend any time thinking about it, it's like, wow, she was the bad guy in this, and and it, that's gonna be a big shock to people. And if you are like a big Wonder fan. Um, like MCU Wanda, I, I, Jesus, I was, I'm trying to say Wanda <laughs> without saying the character's name. I wonder how you'll feel. Um, right. Well, yeah. I, I have an answer for you. Um, okay. they love it because she was so powerful, insanely powerful. Yeah, and that's, uh, they understand okay. her reasoning for what she did, which is, uh, um, love i guess um i saw her turn a man into noodles and burst his head but then what did the other wanda do that she forgave her for turning reed richards to noodles okay so it's kind of funny how wanda's kind of gone like reverse her comic history because i I mean she technically did start off as a villain in the mcu yeah she was a villain in the first one yeah kind of um but she's an avenger by the end of it sure and so she, so it's like she basically starts out as an Avenger, and then becomes a supervillain. And it's funny how it's it's basically been like reversed from her comics. She went from being in the comics it was an X Men villain to then becoming an Avenger, and they they basically did the opposite of that. And yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, you know, it's just kind of wild to do that with this beloved character to like genuinely make one of our characters evil. Because obviously we had things like Civil War where it pitted mm-hmm. characters against each other, and it's like, oh, who do I side with? You know, the 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 guy that wants to register people, um, or <laughs> the guy that doesn't want to do that. What a concept! Um, sure. So it's 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 weird that they kind of did that and just like straight up made a character the villain because they established that very very early on in the film. Which once again, you're either down with or you're not. But that Wanda's just straight up evil. And she, she, it's her fault. She like accidentally reveals a piece of information, and then is just like, 
alright, fuck it, and then reveals that she's been living in Hell World for however long, and basically tells Doctor Strange of, like, I'm being nice right now. You either let me kill a child so I can go get two other children, or I'm gonna kill you. Like, she's just... There's no redemption, and I found that really funny, to be honest. That was this is just where we were going with it. It's yeah. like this is Wanda Maximoff, you know, like this is the character that tragically had to kill uh, her robot husband, and then Thanos was like, "Yeah, that's nice and all, but," and then reverse time. So it's it's funny that now she's just a cackling, crazy, evil dead witch at one point. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Uh, it's funny with Wanda because I remember after. Uh, Age of Ultron, people saying like, I didn't really care for Wanda. And I was like, oh really? She was one of the aspects of the movie that I really liked. I mean, you know, I I don't love uh, that movie very much, but no, I shouldn't. no, but I do like the sequence where she makes uh, Black Widow, Cap, and Thor think of things. <laughs> Black Widow <laughs> thinks of being in the Red Room with Julie Delpy and... Uh, um, you know, so on and so forth. So I, I like that sequence, and that's kind of Scarlet Witch stuff that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I was like, oh, they did the Scarlet Witch pretty well. If you're going to tell a story where she's a villain and then joins the Avengers, I thought they actually did a pretty good job. So then, like, WandaVision was kind of like, oh, this is, this is really Scarlet Witch. I mean, she's making imaginary babies, and she's married to the Vision, and um, <laughs> so this is... This is Wanda. And then you get to this, and it's like, this is still Wanda. I mean, I still see this as the Scarlet Witch. It's just, if you want to, like, connect the dots, then it starts to get real messy. Because, it's like, all of these different films, I think, have adapted Scarlet Witch in a way that's like, I can pinpoint, like, where in the comics that this has taken influence from. And obviously we're getting Mm -hmm. a lot of House of M-era Scarlet Witch between this film and WandaVision. But Which some people do not like, I should add. They are why? comic book like enjoyers. Uh, I, because it's it's like I think that's what she's been defined as since that event. You know, um, yeah, she killed off an entire species. Essentially, that's a pretty big event to be remembered for. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think it's that like people don't like that that happened. She, they don't like the idea of this character basically wiping out the X Men. And then it being like, okay, you know, it's like, that's her now. She's like, Perma is a bad guy. Because how do you come back from that? It's 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 a well. big character-changing event. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really have an issue with her. I guess, I mean, I don't have an issue with her doing it. I'm trying to figure out a way to say that. I, I don't know. I don't really like House of M, but I don't mind that this character took that drastic route. Um, but well, I understand that if, if people... It's like you are a fan of a character, and the only thing people bring up is this one story that is not really about her. Like, it is, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. And then she's been basically defined by that quote her entire fictional career afterwards. It's like, well, I actually like her from this period. It's like, oh, does that have anything to do with this book? It's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, I guess not related to the time she was crazy. I'm not even referring to the No More Mutants thing, because to me, like, the... The thing I remember about that book is where she creates an alternate... She changes reality to give everyone, you know, their wish. And meanwhile, she's so she's just trying to live her life with her kids. Um, and, you know, everyone's like, no, Wanda, you can't do it. I don't care if you gave us all our dream. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't real. Like, 
that's what I think of when I think of that story. So for her to just be like, well, fuck the X-Men, no more mutants, is like a very <laughs> funny, drastic uh, decision that she makes. But yeah, I, to me, I'm more thinking about how she's like trying to be a mother and Doctor Strange is constantly like, you can't do that. And uh, that's what we get in this movie. Like there's a scene where he just straight up says, they're not real. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> And they're, they're not, doing it. and they're really not. I guess that's kind of the funny thing about this Wanda, is that, like, and I guess that's what I was surprised by, is just how much they drove her to that point, you know? Because I, I, I didn't, so, once major spoilers, I guess, but we have already said it. She fucking dies at the end of this. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> fucking uh... kill her. Because <laughs> I don't care because she was a psychopath that was going to, like, when she shows up in the alternate universe and, like, she's like, hey, kids. <laughs> kids are, like, screaming and crying and she thinks that it'll be. And so she, like, smashes her other self against the wall in the kitchen. Yeah. And she just expects her kids to be like, come on, it's I'm mom now. Yeah. It's really, it was really funny. And just, I was happy. That she died because she brutally murdered people and she went past the point, you know, she almost killed Wong, you know, like, yeah, that's pretty bad is, is, is not worth saving at that point. Yeah. I can't wait to find out what white vision has to say about this. Yeah. He's somewhere out there in the stratosphere. (laughs) He's like, I think she was my wife. Either way, she's dead now. So my idea for the mid credit scene, I I had put together one of those uh, bingo cards for this movie. And mm. then, uh, the like, minutes after I put it together is when the Reed Richards thing leaked. And I was like, okay, well, they cross off half of the shit on this list. Okay, never mind. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I thought the mid credit scene was going to be, like, we go shot of the rubble. And then White Vision shows up and finds her, picks her up and flies away. Kind of like when he does that in uh, Age of Ultron. And right. we'd go from there. Because there's no way she's dead. Like, I know she she collapses underneath a bunch of rubble, but she's not dead. I mean, <laughs> we were just talking about Jean Grey in a cocoon of telekinetic energy. I mean, it's going to be something like that. Yeah, it's comic book movies. I mean, yeah. I'm sure she's alive. Why? Why? I, I can't. There's no way they got rid of this character now. No, you know, way. like no. she's coming back. It's fine. Um. So yeah, I thought White Vision was going to show up in this and uh, and and save her, but he didn't. Um. And I would have preferred that to the mid credit scene that they did. I, the, the final <laughs> note that this movie ends on is such a like, whoa, I wonder what, what's going to happen next. Um, apparently he's Nothing. fine. He's just walking around. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah, I, I guess we, we spent a lot of time talking about Wanda. We should talk about uh, Doctor Patrick Strange. Stewart. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I still like the character of, of Doctor Strange. Like, yeah. He's, same. very entertaining um there's a there's a moment in here where he's like talking to the illuminati and it's just him like not giving a shit and not giving them any sort of respect and it's yes. like yeah you tell him dr strange like you're a capable man like you could do anything and he clearly can like he's yeah he, he, he can do a lot of cool shit in this movie so there's this running i liked all that yeah there's a running gag in the mcu with dr strange where he clearly doesn't like the avengers um, he really doesn't in this film. No, because in this film, he just starts mocking them to Wanda. Where he's like, who was I going to go to? <laughs> One of the bugged-themed heroes or the idiot with the mohawk and the bow? Like, <laughs> the idiot! <laughs> says something like that. Um, and I was like, Hawkeye and Wanda are friends. Like, he just mocked him right to her face. 
Um, and, uh, like, how belittling he is to Peter Parker in No Way Home. And, like, he's just... He hates the Avengers. Like, because he, he's that way with Tony Stark. Like, he could not give a shit of all the times that he has saved the world. And he's just like, if it comes down to me or saving you, I'm picking me, basically. <laughs> so, actually, he's talking about the Time Stone, but still. Um, yeah, so we get to this film, and he's there in front of the Illuminati. And they're like, this is uh, Blackagar Boltagar, or whatever his name is. And he goes... Hi, a guy who's a hazard. Like he just he just <laughs> mocks him to his face. Um, well, what's he gonna say? Nothing. <laughs> he can't say shit. Literally. And yeah, then Reed Richards shows up and he's just like, oh, I want the Fantastic Four, a, a, a band or something. And he just again, like, because we, you and I, we both like to mock the Illuminati because it's a bunch of smart, oh, yeah. powerful assholes who come together and decide that they should decide all of the big events. That you yeah, know, the world has to deal with the Illuminati. We, we've constantly mocked the Illuminati because yeah. that is exactly it's the biggest egos in mm-hmm. the the Marvel universe. It's a bunch of people that think they know better. Uh, they disguise it as like, oh well, it's for the safety. You know, if we all work together, you know, the leader of the X Men, the leader of the Avengers, the king of Wakanda, the king of Atlantis. Like, if we all work together, then this will be great. Um, it is really funny in, in hindsight knowing that, like, in that original meeting, Black Panther was offered, and he was like, this is stupid, I'm leaving. Yes. And then everyone else went, all in favor? And they all were like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> like, and yeah, it, it forces cool. all, those, all those funny ideas we have about Reed Richards and Charles Xavier, and, like, they are... They're not bad people. I feel like some people go a little bit overboard and think they're, like, evil. I don't think they're evil, but they're clearly arrogant, egotistical geniuses. And uh, it's just funny to me. And so, yeah, we get that in this this film. Like, they do not take any of, of Strange's sort of, like, warning seriously. They don't really care what he has to say. They're just like, oh, we feel really bad about this, but we are going to have to kill you. And he's like, you people do not understand. <laughs> and they're like, we can handle your little witch. And uh, they couldn't. They no. really, really couldn't. And that and was funny. There is... It's funny, because you go back to No Way Home, and Doctor Strange is just like, we've got to send these guys back to their worlds. I don't care if they're going to die there. That's that world's problem. They shouldn't be our problem. <laughs> and then you get to this, and he goes to another world, and he's like, don't kill me. <laughs> There's a bigger threat coming. You need me, and uh, it's funny how like that that is that goes along with Doctor Strange's arrogance of like he should be able to see that this is you know why they're not listening to him because he wouldn't listen to reason when he was faced with something kind of similar. Um, but in he's also warning them that like someone more dangerous is coming, so you have to prepare for them and. There is a difference here between the Illuminati, the comics, and the Illuminati here. Because when you look at the members, it's like, yeah, Reed Richards, Xavier, Black Bolt, and Doctor Strange. Like, they were all members in the comics as well. Mm-hmm. But here we have Maria Rambeau, who <laughs> yeah. is just like, we can handle your little witch. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay. like So she's like Captain Marvel. She's just like, her answer is to punch things really hard. Um, right. It, so, because I, I guess it's kind of like they're all leaders. Is is she, and this is just sort of guessing, is she like the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy or something? Like, Yeah, I guess that's... What purpose does she... Because you could assume Carter is the leader of the Avengers. 
Yes. But, like, what, yeah, what did she lead? <laughs> Space? The Marvels? Does that the Marvels in, in that reality? Who knows? I, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, uh, I mean, I think they did the team really well. Uh, we did, un- fuck it, I'll say unfortunately. We unfortunately got the fan casting of John Krasinski as Reed Richards in this yeah. film. Um, I, nothing against John Krasinski. I think no. he has potential to be a good Reed Richards. It's just yes. that the internet has made up this idea that he's the only casting choice for this role. And I just don't agree with that. And, um, I mean, he was fine in this movie for the five seconds he was in it. Uh, I think his costume didn't look very good, but well, he was he didn't do a bad job. I, I, I was fine with the costume. I don't know. Uh, the, the Fantastic Four suits are just a big blue onesie you know unitard well that's the problem is that it was it was the onesie with a bunch of extra shit on it and it looked ugly that's the mc i I don't know i don't mind the special effects you know people could be like oh he's what's he not wearing a costume it's like yeah they didn't make a fucking costume because he was there on set for a day you know this is there's a rumor that this was probably reshoots because this movie did have reshoots you know pretty recently last year um and it's possible they added uh Reed Richards and maybe even Black Bolt in because they're only in this for a little bit and they don't do anything other than stand or sit there. So yeah, and that all could have been reshoots. And also like because I think like you know Patrick Stewart for example like he might have been shooting uh, uh, Picard when they were shooting this movie at the time. <laughs> like you know there's scheduling conflicts and they go back and they shoot stuff when those guys are ready. Like Elizabeth Olsen. It's just doing one of those uh, uh, lie detector test interviews. I can't remember who do those. Uh, Variety or something. I don't know. Mm. And, uh, like, she's given a photo of John Krasinski. <laughs> and she's talking about how she's, she hasn't worked with him. And the person's like, you're in a movie with him right now. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's like, oh, okay, that reveals it. Like, she, you know, these people weren't on set at the same time. This is another No Way Home thing. Like, uh, yeah. you know... Toby Maguire didn't work with Benedict Cumberbatch, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, and look, it's seamless. Like people complain about that, but I you can't tell. Like it's fine. No, this, this, it's a big comic book movie. Like if I went and saw a genuine movie, and it was like, yeah, this movie would be a lot better if the actors had like been with each other, and it's noticeable. That's one thing. But like this is a Marvel movie. Like you I know don't something where care. it's really noticeable. Um, is that first Netflix season, because I think they did two seasons of it, uh, of Arrested Development, where it was... Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, like, it was clear that they couldn't get everyone to be available at the same time. Um, and so, like, characters are just gone for a whole episode and or will only be in it for, like, a few seconds. And then there's a scene where it's clear that they, like, green-screened Liza Minnelli into a shot, for example... And yeah, like something like that where it's not got a huge budget and it's not a special effects feature. And it's hindering the actual, you know, show. Yeah. You know, that was that that was an ensemble comedy show and yeah. you ruined that. <laughs> yes. I mean that season sucks. It killed the show for me. But um Yeah, so like I I you can't tell. Like, I don't know. I maybe I was just like invested in what was happening because I'm a Marvel dork at the end of the day. But um yes, look I guess we can talk about theater experiences now, because um, th- this is where that scene really reveals what type of audience <laughs> you're watching it with. Uh, because right. right before it is the Bruce Campbell scene, and 
you know, I was with people who went, hey! And uh, it was very clear that not a lot of people in the audience were doing the same thing. And then <laughs> after the after credit scene, uh, when we were leaving, I heard someone explaining, you know, uh, Peter's proposing and he's, you know, he's holding onto the ring and he keeps going in and out of the... And I was like, oh, that person's explaining who Bruce Campbell is to a friend. And yeah, I'm hearing yeah, I had that the that's exact happened. Same thing. <laughs> yes, you had that experience, and we have friends who had that same experience. So it's yeah. super strange to hear people explaining the concept of Bruce Campbell in Sam Raimi movies, but that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Um, yeah, I I guess I guess real quick because you you had a, a reactionary Marvel theater. Uh, I did not. I mm. there was some murmurs when the Illuminati scenes were happening. But, like, there were no cheers, there were no applause. It was a very, very quiet theater, which was odd, but I guess it was fine because I wasn't annoyed by people's, like, nerdgasm, so I guess it was fine. But I understand you did not have that luxury. No, um, when, uh, <laughs> the name drop of the Illuminati will see you now, I think is what Mordo says, something like that, and the mm. whole audience went, whoa! And I was thinking, fuck, I mean, there was a TV spot that was released a week ago where that line was in it. Did these people not see it? <laughs> and I'm gathering that people didn't because yeah, I, like, I, I had friends who had no idea that Captain Carter was confirmed or that Xavier would have the yellow chair. And I was like, I was in a TV spot like, you know, a week ago or a week and a half ago. And they definitely didn't know about the Reed Richards thing, which, you know. None of us when should you... have known that, but the internet decided to just sort of make that explode. Yeah, because like I, I remember I saw uh, John Krasinski, Reed Richards, and, and like leak like all trending, yeah. and it's like even if I didn't click on it, I can put two and two together. When Captain Carter was revealed, there was like a woo, but it wasn't like overwhelming. Then there yeah. was Black Bolt, who and it was like dead silent. <laughs> and I just kind of laughed, and I was trying to tell if it was the actor from the show. Not that I ever watched that show, but um, it was clear by the end of his time there that it was him. Hanson. Mount? Elgort. Yeah, Mount, that's it. Um, <laughs> and uh, then when they revealed Maria Rambeau, again, dead silence. Because <laughs> no one knows who that was. <laughs> and then... John Krasinski, Jim from The Office shows up, and people went like, "Wow!" Like for, and it, but it was clear it was like a surprise. It it wasn't like people just playing along. It was like it was clear that people didn't know. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, look. I guess a, a quick note. It yeah. is funny to know that that technology that he uses was created by Doctor Doom in the comics. It's like one of his most like like highest advancements in all of technology. The portal. So thing. it's it yeah. So it's kind of funny to imagine that in this universe, Doom invented that. Reed beat him, and now he uses that, so he doesn't have to like use the <laughs> stairs anymore. <laughs> that's pretty great. So good. That's a very Reed Richards move. So I'm I'm happy with that. But. Yeah. Um, I, I, we, there was a reaction, but there was not like a crowd explosion reaction in my theater. It was yeah. like, <gasps> like whispers. Um, and then when Xavier showed up, there, it was like a very, uh, it was again, cause everyone knew who was in it, but it was clear that was the one everyone was playing along for. There was like an applause and like, woo, to see him like someone was making an entrance that we liked. That's what it more felt like. You know, when you go and see a play 
and then a famous actor mm-hmm. walks on stage. It was Patrick like that. Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Yeah, I'm sure he gets that <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Um, so to the point where like my brother was with me and he completely missed the uh, the the 90s X-Men theme because people were applauding whereas I I heard it and I, I was like okay I see it's fine <laughs> I heard it you, <laughs> you can't help but hear it it was like yeah <laughs> it's connected to your eardrums that's I, true that was a little bit of a strange thing obviously we, we talked earlier about how I'm watching the X-Men cartoon mm-hmm. um, and I said to you previously that the 90s cartoon was the last time we got an Xavier that wasn't connected to Patrick Stewart because yes. when we got X-Men Evolution, it, there was influence from the movies. And then even stuff like Wolverine and the X-Men and every future version has a little bit of, like, Patrick Stewart. You know, just whatever accent you can give him that's, like, slightly British or posh or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, in X-Men Evolution, I, I you know, my brother and I, speaking of him, we had done uh, that commentary on the first episode, but it got flagged. Um, but like, you know, he points out that he's like, Kurt, that's what we're here to learn. And it do- it does sound like next generation Picard. Like it, <laughs> it sounds like the voice yeah. he had in that. So, uh, cause I imagine, cause that show I think started in like 2001. So maybe when they started recording, um, the first X-Men movie might not have even been out yet. I don't know. Actually, I just- I assume that got greenlit after the movie was successful. Um, <laughs> I I assume yeah. so, and that was uh, that was David Kay, so he's yes. a pretty well known voice actor, and he's it's very clear he's doing a Stuart impression or yeah. something along those lines. So it's weird to see the the last remnant of a pre Stuart world is now gone in, in a yes. way because um, I love watching 90s Xavier uh, scream and whatnot and incredible power (laughs) incredible power (laughs) oh my goodness this whole if if you guys go back and watch anything watch the the Phoenix saga so you can watch Xavier be incredibly lonely and then he goes (laughs) to Moira McTaggart's castle and then he he sees that she's now dating Banshee and he's like oh I'm all sad because the alien's telling me stuff and I don't know what's going on and my girlfriend is dating someone else sigh and then immediately a fucking hot alien lady beams down and is like Xavier there's this thing that like connect to somebody's mind and it's more than love and Xavier's like absolutely (laughs) (laughs) anyways yeah they they use all their 90s cred with this Xavier he's got the big chair he's got the theme except now it's Patrick Stewart and he's 109 years old yes okay so positives Patrick Stewart gets to say (laughs) names like Wanda Maximoff and Thanos and yeah. there's, there's that X-Men fan in me that's like, oh, it's Xavier saying Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> he killed Thanos. <laughs> he did. There's a great shot where, like, you see the, the dead body of Thanos and it starts to pan. And the first character you see is Xavier. The events of Infinity War sort of happened in a similar way, except there wasn't a Star-Lord to fuck it up. And they had someone more powerful than uh, Mantis to like freeze his brain they had (laughs) professor charles xavier so of course they won you know he's got a green suit he's in the big yellow chair and you know like seeing that stuff is fun the negative is that patrick stewart is really old and it's strange seeing xavier this old and also be 
kind of part of this universe's Avengers, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. See him saying, like, Doctor Strange, my friend. <laughs> it's like, to be fair, it's like all the people just, like, want to kill him, and then it's it's Professor X that's oh, like... Oh, God, immediately they all leave the room, and he's <laughs> like, oh, now, my BFF, Doctor Strange. Yeah. I'll tell you, and the mortal's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, yeah. go down the hall to the left, you'll find a secret cave. <laughs> yes. Like, so again, no, it's like... It's, you can save us. My man, Professor X, he, he knew he knew to, to save the, the good guy. Uh, but then he gets killed by a scary special effect. He does. Uh, we do hear him say the line from Days of Future Past, which is the other connecting tissue to the movies of mm-hmm. just because someone stumbles, loses their way, doesn't mean they're lost forever. And I like that. I, I liked that he got to say that line, but it's funny that it's he almost has to rush the line out. Like, I reacted to it when I heard it, because I was like... And again, if you want to talk about, like, people in the cinema, whether or not they're real fans, I say that with, like, <laughs> quotations. Because, you, you know, whether or not you're a real Marvel fan, like, what's your cred or whatever is nonsense and who cares. But right. when no one reacted to a really, you know, big line from Days of Future Past... I was kind of like, yeah, you guys aren't real X-Men fans. Fuck you. <laughs> None of you saw Dark Phoenix. You're the ones that let it bomb. I don't know. It's cool that they managed to put a movie line in there, like a reference to the X-Men movies. Um, yeah. But uh, it was also kind of rushed out there, and it clearly didn't mean much to people. And, and now people are like putting side-by-sides on Instagram of like, look, it's a reference. I don't mean it to is. be this bitter, everyone. But the, <laughs> the X-Men movies died a slow and painful death, okay? so They did, but now they're alive through ancient cameos in films where all these characters are wiped out in an instant. Um, I yeah. mean, there's, there's no more question of who the strongest Avenger is. Like, if you're asking anyone that, you're an idiot, because it's clearly Wanda Maximoff. Like, yes. She can do anything if she puts her mind to it, and she did, so... Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's another thing to discuss is Sam Raimi, he directed this film. I don't know if you know this, if anyone's told you, but he, Sam Raimi made this movie. He directed this movie with all of his heart. That's I heard Sam sure. Raimi was there, you know, it's like... <laughs> yes. Um, so because of that, and you and I have had this conversation before, is I feel like there is a misunderstanding of Sam Raimi just because... Uh, when Samurai was announced, it was like, oh my god, yes, this movie is going to be dark and it's going to be a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. And Sam Raimi has, has a history with horror stuff, um, whether it's the actual horror movies he's made or, you know, being a kid and seeing Spider-Man 2 for the first time and watching that Doc Ock scene. And it's like, what is happening? Yeah. You know, there's, 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 there is some validity to it. However... I do like I do feel like people miss the the mark a bit by just calling him like a horror guy when I think he's just like a theatrical guy and he likes just to do weird stuff. And so as much yeah. as a horror guy, he's also a comedy guy. And yes, I hear people praising the horror stuff. I don't really hear people praising any of like the comedy stuff in the film whether it's intentional or not. And, no. you know, that's kind of an interesting sort of element to it. And so when people say, like, this is a horror movie, it is not. It's yeah. got some cool visuals and some scary elements here and there. But if you're saying this is a horror film, 
I'm sorry, but like, I don't know if you know what a horror film is. Like, this was a superhero flick. This yes. was not a horror movie. There, there are certainly horror movie elements in it, and and Wanda, you know, she, there's some jump scares in the movie, technically. Um, but oh yeah, and and there's some. This one pushes the envelope a little bit more when it comes to violence. I mean, not that it's not nowhere near as violent as The Northman, which we just said was not as violent as some horror movies. <laughs> but we also see, you know, a, a Doctor Strange get impaled on a gate like we see it happen um we <laughs> i did see a review i can't maybe it was just someone's tweet or something where uh you know they saw a child start crying and they had to leave the theater when the illuminati just started getting brutally killed because we don't see captain carter get cut in half but we know that that's what happened um yeah. we do see black bolt like explode his own brain and we see Reed Richards die a really painful death. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's one thing. It's for definitely someone... more. It's it's more than your average Marvel movie. I will deny. I will not deny that. Yeah. Um, and I've seen some people like. I, I think this is a little weird. They'll, they'll they'll pull examples from like the '80s and be like, "This was PG." And it's like, are you fucking kidding? Like, a PG movie then is not the same thing as a PG-13 movie now. No. Like, first of all, PG-13 movies didn't even exist at the time. Uh, <laughs> second of all, like, there's different reasons for why things get censored, you know? Sometimes it's for very minute little things. Yeah. Like, and then the other times it's like you can have all sorts of weird stuff. Like, uh, Army of Darkness is an R-rated film, and they wanted it to make it, like, NC-17. And they've talked about it before, of like that's a movie with like silly skeleton puppets. Yeah, like this is a this is technically like a kids movie, but because of certain elements, they they pushed it. So I don't know; those conversations are a little weird. But it does do some things that you wouldn't normally see in the MCU. However, that does not make it a horror film. <laughs> no, and I, I will say that I think the comedy. Um, like comedy is lacking, and I was I was actually okay with that, even though it was a Sam Raimi film, and I was Same. expecting some comedy. The MCU comedy can be very hit and miss, and you know, some like that's the weakest part of No Way Home. I think is like all the stuff with Ned and like the comedy at the, for the first half of the movie with Flash and his book and all of that. I don't find any of that stuff funny, and then it it kind of makes the movie feel a little bit like a joke to me when the movie doesn't take itself that seriously. Um, and I don't mean take itself seriously, you know, in a, like a pretentious sense. I just mean like when everything has to be undercut with a joke, it feels like okay, then this is yeah. just a joke. <laughs> That's fair because that is the Marvel thing. And yeah, uh, Sam Raimi leading up to this movie was talking about how you know when he did the the Spider-Man films at least is like he never played it as a joke. They played it as real because these yes. are real characters and you need to treat them with respect. So. There's not a lot of, like, mocking the material, because why are you making this if you feel the need to constantly mock your material? You know, this. I think the Marvel Universe does that entirely, entirely too much. Yeah. This idea that it's like, we have to acknowledge what we're doing, otherwise people are going to think we're lame. <laughs> it's like, no, just make the thing. And I feel like we got a lot of that here. Um, there's some really fun stuff. Yeah, I agree. What do you think is to blame for that comedy stuff because I think back to like I think it really works in the first Avengers movie but then it becomes too overpowering in Age of Ultron so is Joss Whedon to blame or is it like 
Iron Man 2, because they did a lot more of that well, stuff with Tony and Pepper, where it felt a lot more genuine in the first film. Whereas in the right. second film, like when they're arguing and talking over the top of each other, to me it's really annoying. And like the Tony Stark personality kind of becomes a lot more defined based mm-hmm. on that movie than the first one. Yeah, I, I was going to say that it's a mix of both. The, yeah. the fact that Iron Man was the most popular character to come out of the first phase of Marvel movies, mm-hmm. mixed with Joss Whedon's Avengers being the reason we even have all of this stuff now. Yeah. Like, it is a mixture of those things. It was... Uh, I guess that's kind of the funny thing about the first Avengers film is that movie's so small comparatively. Yeah. It's so funny to think back to 2012. But, like, that movie only has six Avengers and it takes place over the course of, like, two days. Yeah. Right? It's, like, two or three days. So that movie is 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 all sort of compact versus today where you go through so many vistas and so many characters and you have to do all these things instead of all this stuff and then yeah age of ultron buckles under that weight and those expectations and you think it, it works if you're doing it on a smaller scale with certain characters but then they they want that for all their characters they want those archetypes and those funny bits to really happen. I have a similar problem with the first Ant-Man during the the mm. final battle where our villain played by uh Corey Stahl is like threatening to kill our hero's child and we're like laughing at the fact that oh little Thomas Train is now big. <laughs> yeah. And they do that like consecutively. And so I have a very similar thing where it, it's it does kind of take the the tension out. And I felt like Doctor Strange didn't really do that. I no. feel like Honestly, and I don't see people talking about this. I I feel like Doctor Strange has a pretty like solid idea behind it, like this idea of accepting your reality and dealing with your past and moving forward instead of dwelling on it. Because yeah. that's what this whole the idea is about: is this Stephen Strange is regretting the fact that his relationship didn't work with Christine, played by Rachel McAdams, and Wanda is trying to latch onto this family idea that she created and because of that she's going crazy and is trying to get to the world and it's kind of the same thing with uh, America Chavez our new character where she blames herself for this tragedy in her past and it sort of takes this realization of like stop blaming yourself stop worrying about it and just accept who you are and move forward like understand that like what happened happened there's nothing you can do about that now move forward with your life because you have to otherwise you're going to become evil doctor strange you know with the third eye and everything or you'll become (laughs) wanda or yeah whatever and i i think that is a relatively solid idea that is present throughout the entirety of the film yeah it's funny because that this will link back to doctor strange but i rewatched the first thor not that long ago um i think when the trailer for the new one came out because I hadn't watched it in a while. I did a big watch-through of all the MCU films, I think, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I watched them in, like, chronological order of events. When you watch them all like that, it's like, oh, this is a this is a good series of films. I mean, they're, they're well-made films, you know, this is enjoyable stuff. And then, you know, that wears off, and you look at each one individually again, and you you have your thoughts. <laughs> but um, I rewatched the first Thor, and I've always enjoyed that film, and... I mean, what you were saying earlier about, like, the first Avengers movie feeling like a really big, you know, how are they going to make this work at the time? Thor felt like that as well, of how are they going to make a serious Thor movie set in the world that Iron Man has established? 
and uh, and here we are, and he's about to get his eighth cinema appearance this year. So um, yeah, it's funny how that works. But um, you know, those films and the Avengers films that he's in, he's often dealing with what his purpose is. It's that in the first film. Um, maybe not so much in the second film as much though. Oh no, it's definitely in the second film because he's the responsibility of being king. The responsibility of being stuff. king. Yep. Um, and Ragnarok, you know, he he finally becomes king, but not the way he expected. And you know, then he's dealing with, you know, he goes on the hero's journey to stop Thanos in Endgame. Sorry, in Infinity War. Then in Endgame, he obviously has a really big transformation where he's redeemed and fulfilled again by the end. And the next one is also dealing with him trying to find his purpose. And, like, I've seen people complain about that. And my thought is, like, well, that's Thor. Like, that's kind of what he's constantly dealing with. In the first film, we know what his, you know, his purpose is meant to be. It's to be king of Asgard. He has his ceremony at the beginning. And then he goes through the the character arc, you know, immediately after when he's sent to Earth. So I don't have a problem that they're still doing that because that's the character. What I do At have least a, he's doing something. <laughs> yeah. What I do have a problem with is when, like... And, and I, I really like and respect uh, Taika Waititi, but he did an interview recently where he was talking about this one, you know, we're going to see Thor go on a journey to find his purpose. And I was like, I mean, yeah, like, that's what they're all about. I mean, that's, not, that's nothing new. Like, using that as, like, <laughs> finally we're seeing this. And again, that might just be a quote that's taken a bit out of context, but um, I just saw that and I was like, well, that's what they're all about. I mean, you can't use that as a selling point. Um, Thor going on another adventure because he doesn't have, is you know, doesn't have a purpose, and he goes on this wacky adventure where, again, something stops him and brings him back home in a sense. That's interesting. Yeah, just I'm reminded of that with because I've seen people say that with Doctor Strange of, uh, you know, the first movie ends with him not sure of what his future is with Christine and now this film deals with that again and the question is posed at the beginning which he asks Wong at the end of are you happy and I like that as a character arc for the character and to me these feel very consistent like he's the most consistent character in the MCU to me of of, especially with the new ones um or newer ones he's been in a film every year since his first one, except for 2020 when there were no MCU projects. Um, yeah. Which, it, it, it sort of makes me think, like, I'm so glad that his casting worked and that first film worked. Because, <laughs> you know, if say, like, you know, it was Eternals that they had planned that with. And who knows what they were planning with Eternals, but, you know, that film wasn't super well received. It didn't make a ton of money, and I can't remember any of the characters' names anymore. And... You know, if they were meant to be what Doctor Strange has become, ooh, I don't know. Yeah, best of best of luck to those folks. Yeah, it's you're right. Like Doctor Strange at the time could have seemed like a gamble because of the inherent nature of of what he is. Yeah, compared to these other people, where the Avengers are pretty self-explanatory of like, oh, there's a guy in a suit, there's a World War II guy, you know, there's some couple of. Uh, karate sort of assassin people you know yeah. with weapons you know it's pretty in the hulk like we all know the hulk versus this guy where it's like oh his comic is almost entirely based off of unpronounceable words yes like that's that's his whole 
shtick is doing all these wacky things. And I guess that's also part of why I don't have a problem with this movie in terms of, like, a big special effects nonsense fest. Just mm-hmm. because if this was... um Gosh, I don't know. Uh, a Captain America movie. Like, if Captain America 4 did some of this stuff, it's like, that's frustrating. You know? Like, I don't really need to see that. I want to sure. see Captain America in realistic environments, because he's Captain America. Um, unless you're doing something fantastical like the Red Skull, and you have, you know, weird uh, sort of a, uh, a fake view of what World War II looked like. That's okay. But... Now we kind of have a new vision of Captain America, thanks to the Russos. Meanwhile, Doctor Strange, big, fantastical, crazy, kaleidoscopy nonsense. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. So when when Doctor Strange fights evil Doctor Strange and they're shooting musical notes at each other, or Doctor Strange possesses a different zombie Doctor Strange and then makes a big cape out of skeletons, yeah. it's like, <laughs> that's cool. Like, that yeah. was fun. That was definitely by far some of my favorite stuff in the movie totally and i don't really mind that it's all a big special effects nonsense thing and like we mentioned earlier the idea that like oh in the illuminati none of those people were on set the same day and they were all filmed in different stuff it doesn't impede it because like that that's those scenes go so quickly and we didn't really talk about it but interspersed in that scene is a hand-to-hand combat scene between Mordo and Strange. Yes. That was surprisingly like pretty well done. Like I wasn't expecting it to be that considering everything else that was going on in the film. Yeah, there was you know? a part of me looking at these two very distinguished actors, you know, <laughs> and uh like I I think they probably first worked together in uh 12 Years a Slave. And then you see them having this hand-to-hand <laughs> combat in the multiverse of madness. Like, yeah, I mean, it's... it's. I thought uh, that scene was, was really cool. I, that fight scene, anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, and... It, it, you know, one of the things that uh, Sam Raimi does really well is action. Especially, like, close hand-to-hand combat action. Um, that fight scene at the end of the first Spider-Man is so tonally different to everything else in the movie. You know, speaking of, True. like, you know, horror tones, like, I remember as a kid kind of being afraid in that scene because, you know, you, Spider-Man just looks like he has no hope to win this. So that's a different type of fear. Um, but, yeah, like, the lighting of it and the setting and the brutality of some of it, not that that's reflected in the, the Strange Mordo fight, but, um, yeah, like, going back to what we said earlier of, you know, Sam Raimi does horror. Like, some of his really interesting techniques, uh, like how he does montages and transitions. Uh, <laughs> yes, there are people hating on that stuff for this movie. Fuck those people. I love that That's so stuff. lame. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like you mentioned, one of the, the best ones is Wanda, like, meditating, doing something. And then, like, you see, like, a, a silhouette that's, like, out of focus, like, approach the screen and interrupt the Wanda, like shot mm-hmm. and it's long and that yes. transitions into another there's another one where like a lot of stuff is being explained and you're seeing it characters like intercut with footage of wanda like in a seance kind of circle thing mm-hmm. and then it cut like it shows like the circle and in the circle is like mordo speaking yes <laughs> like, yeah super super wacky and it's different it's fun it's like 
you have fun with it because this is a movie and you can have like you can be you can be damn sure anytime that the camera did something wonky or there was a clear reference to evil dead or whatever like i was sitting there laughing like a dork because it was fun to see the sam raimi stuff i was surprised to see just how much sam raimi stuff was in the film because i was totally expecting this to be like yeah i get the idea that it's sam raimi but there were some things that were undeniably him and i really uh i appreciated it i really i really did so it, it's it's a sam raimi flavored mcu film you know like yes it's not a sam raimi movie completely because it has to be a, a marvel cinematic universe film you know that when you bought your ticket so don't be mad about it yes but it is it still has that flavor and i'm i'm fine with it i i, I think that was a a fun element of the film that made it fresh and yeah really kind of maybe saved it like you said maybe this wouldn't have worked as well as it did if there was somebody else making it i don't know but it certainly helps with sam Raimi being here and look as someone who just recently watched the quick and the dead uh and a simple plan for the first time uh sam Raimi is a very diverse director people kind of not only do they simplify his talents to horror they simplify his films to spider-man and evil dead and yes. he has made very... I don't want to say standard, because that's not fair, but he's made f- you know, films very much outside of his typical comfort zone that possibly could have been directed by someone else, but you know, the scripts are so good and the actors are good, and then like there's really good filmmaking there, and it's clear that it was made by a good filmmaker. And that's where some of his more... You know, some of his sensibilities come from probably making something like a simple plan, because um, that's like a, a mystery film. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we've talked a lot about this film. Yeah, I don't know how to transition into the end. Is, <laughs> is we have anything else to discuss, Anthony? Uh, I'll just say to wrap up, I liked it. I I enjoyed this movie. Um, I didn't love it by any means. But I haven't really loved any of the current Marvel stuff, whether it's the movies or the Disney Plus stuff. Like Phase Four, I guess we're still calling them phases at this point. Yeah, I none of these have like stuck in my mind as must see Marvel entertainment. You know, it's we we, we talked a lot about early Phase One stuff, ironically, with like Thor and Avengers, and mm-hmm. um, obviously I I love the Guardians films. I love Winter Soldier. I think that's genuinely one of the best you know not only marvel cinematic universe films but marvel films in general you know it's it's the closest that the mcu gets to something like x-men 2 or spider-man 2 in my opinion yeah um maybe not exact for some of you folks out there but it's the closest and i liked infinity war and endgame for what they are but in terms of the newer stuff i enjoy shang chi i even liked black widow to an extent uh and i like spider-man but I didn't really love any of those movies and none of them are going to like stick with me. And I feel like this one might be the same. I had a good time at the theater. I was pleasantly, you know, uh, surprised by the Sam Raimi-ness and the characters. And even though the after credit scene completely undercuts the final shot of the film, yes, I'm, I'm not going to be mad when Dr. Strange shows up again. I'll be like, Hey, it's Dr. Strange. All right. I'm happy to see him. And that's okay. It's, it, I, I'm not. I'm not pissed off at Marvel, and I'm not raving about how excited I am about the future. It's just like, sure, they they continue to be lighthearted fun, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, um, I think this is 
definitely the best of the post-endgame era. Um, yeah, I guess Phase 4, whatever. Um, like, including the shows, I think this is the, <laughs> the one I've liked the most. Mm. It's definitely, I think, the best of the movies, but, it, you know, with the shows, it's, it's apples and oranges, but... Um, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I'm teetering on calling it great, um, because I think I, I liked it that much, but, uh, I also recognize that I'm, like, mad at them for almost manufacturing the, uh, the audience cheering, you know, by having, like, John Krasinski there as Reed Richards, who I just don't mm. buy at all as the smartest man in the universe or whatever. Um, you know, all due res- I, I like John Krasinski as well, and... I, I think he's a, he's been a good filmmaker, and I think he's a fine actor. But uh, I've yeah. never understood that fan cast, and the, it only stems from he and Emily Blunt being a couple, and people wanting to cast a couple as Reed yeah. and Sue. And one is tall and has brown hair, and one is a blonde woman. So yeah, so that that really helps with that, I guess. Um, but anyway, uh, I liked the movie. I liked it too. Well, <laughs> are we ending it there, or are we doing anything else? Do we have anything else to discuss? Nah, I think that I think people want to go home. I mean, it's a podcast, so they're already they're already home, home. But we are home. We... <laughs> no one's gonna get that reference. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's about it, folks. Well, it. Anthony, where can people find you on social media? Well, uh, guys. If, if you want to follow me for more fun stuff, I'm at Anthony Lantern on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram is pretty much purely toy-related content with a rare random screenshot from a film or a YouTube video or whatever. Um, so if you enjoyed that. I, had, I did have someone message me and was like, I love when you post random stuff because oh, I don't good. know where you get them. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, that's... That's part of the fun. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter as well. I'm also on of YouTube, of course, Anthony Reviews, where Anthony Reviews, as of this recording, I put up a video of me getting the Sonic 2 McDonald's toys, horribly cheap little figurines that uh, caused more trouble than they deserved. <laughs> and uh, I please go watch that video because yes. it would help justify me getting all those stupid little figures. I found it to be a very entertaining video. So, uh, and it was different to what you normally do, in a sense as well. So, uh, I liked it a lot. Yes, thank you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and on Letterboxd at uh, at Kirk Beatty. I don't know why I put an "er" in the middle of there. At Kirk <laughs> Beatty, uh, and I'm Shades at Night on YouTube. I'm trying to work out the timetable. No, this will be out before the video. So, um, there'll be a video soon. Maybe. I've been promising it for a while. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe I'll just give up again. Uh, Anthony, (laughs) sing a song for me, please. All right. The screen fades in. It says in stereo at the bottom. Notice in the cartoon, Xavier has like these holes in the back of his his chair. I assume in the movie, Doctor Strange, he also had those holes, and that's where the song was coming from. He was just like he played it, blaring it from his from his chair. (laughs) 
everyone's like staring at him like giving him the side eye like this guy that's not the sound that the electricity makes as it goes across the x-men logo shut up bobby that's the gambit it's a gambit quote <laughs> that's a gambit quote yeah no it's he bobby pushes, shut up and he pushes him out of frame bobby shut up yeah we'll reverse it in the edit okay 